Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians 13. As we approach the love chapter, I tried really hard last week to make the case that love is not a flowery, soft feeling that we have for people. It's not a, an emotion that good deeds or good thoughts bring out of us. Love is a characteristic of the Almighty God who in His Word goes so far as to define Himself by it. And then He commands His people to have it. And He gives it to those who ask of it. And we try to emphasize the uncompromising way that the Bible approaches the command of God's people to love in the Bible. I will read a sampling of what we covered last week. From 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God. For God is love. From the law in Deuteronomy chapter 11 verse 1 Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep His charge, His statutes, His judgments, and His commandments always. In Leviticus chapter 19 verse 34 the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. From Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. You shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. From Jesus in Matthew 5, 43. You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. And the point that I tried to make last week is that this is not a suggestion. This is a command. And I asked Clayton to read that passage twice this morning and thank you brother for doing it but here you have a church in Revelations chapter 2 who is commended for abhorring sin who is commended for pointing out false teachers who's commended for loving right doctrine and who's being threatened to have their very church extinguished because they have left their first love and Jesus says, 
Repent. And he threatens them. Or I'll come and I'll remove the lampstand entirely. Unless, and he says it again, you repent. And honestly, I have no idea how some of us can be so ignorant as to love and the command to have it and to exercise it. I am really upset this morning. And it has been building for days. And I almost just called in sick. It's not true. I'm not sick. So I didn't call in sick. For the better part of a year and a half, I have been trying my best to love and serve in ministry in this church. Now, I've been trying to do that for a long time, to no financial gain of myself. And for the better part of a year and a half, as this world has gone through the crazy banana stuff of COVID and the pandemic and the policies and the social stuff, I have been trying to do my very best to be the pastor that God has called me to be, which you don't get to decide. I tried in my home on weekends between working a job that takes way more than 50 hours a week to sit down and prepare sermons for people when we weren't even meeting and to record those sermons and to stand. Do you know how humiliating, how weird, how awful it is to stand in front of a camera and to try to deliver messages because you're doing your very best to serve people? And then to spend hours editing those sermons because it's video and to upload them and to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning to check the progress so that when families woke up on Sunday morning they would have something from their pastor to listen to in their homes to worship God with. <laughs> Do you have any idea how much the complaints about all that hurt me? Do you have any idea how much it hurts to have people gossiping and talking about you and your leadership and who you are and what you're teaching and what you're doing behind your back on and off again for a year and a half as you try to serve? I cannot tell you how many times I wanted to quit being a pastor over the last two years. I cannot tell you how much. And I haven't. And I just keep coming back and keep trying to serve the Lord as He has called me to serve Him. And our church has grown. There are families all over the congregation this morning who were not here two years ago. And I thank God for that because I'm sure I had very little to do with it other than just not quitting. Just keep trying to make the right decisions and do the right things as best I know how.
But if we are half this full next Sunday, I am okay with it. If it means the people who are here are going to take this command to love seriously. Which means we stop sinning against one another behind their back like cowards. I live 400 yards from here. Everybody has my email. Everybody has my phone number. If you have a problem with things that the leadership in this church are doing, if you think I'm a coward and too intimidated to preach on a topic, if you think that I'm in this for myself, or that I'm trying to appease this person because they have money, or this person because they have influence, I am practically a stone's throw away. Who's the coward if you won't talk to me about it? About 15 years ago, I had a man come to my home when he knew I wouldn't be there to tell my wife that I was a coward behind my back. Who's the coward? I'm not going to put up with it anymore. If you don't want to be here, leave. If you don't trust a pastor and you're not willing to try to work it out with that pastor, go find a pastor you can trust. I haven't preached a sermon for money my entire life. And if there is no one here next Sunday morning but me, I will stand up and preach a sermon. Because I'm not living by the paycheck. I do this to serve God. And what I require in return is what God requires of you. Which we've all covered in this book right here. If you're a member of our church, we've covered this. It's right here. And in this church membership book, we talk about how we will love and serve one another in the name of Jesus Christ. Love. Does it strike you as love when people are gossiping and complaining and murmuring about you behind your back? Does that strike you as love? Let me tell you who it doesn't strike as love too. God, who killed tens of thousands of Israelites for it in the wilderness. I am so, so, so disappointed that men and women in this church sometimes and some men and some women here 
sometimes choose to go on their own little complaint or crusades or rebellions behind people's backs instead of just talking to them face to face. And I ain't just talking about me. And the naivety and the hard-heartedness to think that no one knows what they're saying or that no one knows what they're doing. This is the only time in going on my 10th year of ministry that I have ever stood up and said anything like this. But I'm not going to take it anymore. Some of you have been gossiping about me or other pastors at your dinner tables, out with people in this church and people outside of this church for years. And you think it never gets back to me because I've never said anything about it. You are wrong. I have never said anything about it because I never felt that I should stand up in this pulpit and talk about something that might be construed as if it were all about me. And I've never gone to you about it because I'm not trying to perpetuate the gossip. And after all, I only hear about it from other people and it's always been a gray area in my mind. Should you confront the sin of gossip if you're only hearing about gossip from other people? I confess that's been a tough one for me. And so I have tried to exercise the love of 1 Corinthians 13 and simply bear all things and endure all things. But I have come to the conviction that it is no longer healthy for you to not say anything about this. Now there is no big scandal in our church. There is no secret issue there's no quiet faction of people that I know of forming some rebellion. It's not about that. I am just tired of seeing God's people wound each other as if it's no big deal. Who do you think you are? To attack and criticize someone and complain about someone behind their backs who do you think you are? <laughs> you may get away with doing it behind their backs, but you are criticizing another man's son and another man's servant. And that man is the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will not get away with it. Some of you know Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 where it says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Here's the verse right before it. Here's the context. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And I believe the next verse is to those who are being sinned against. Verse 9. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household 
of faith. I am really stressed about this. Brothers and sisters, I asked you to think about this last week. And I don't know if you did, but this command to love is serious. And if you don't exercise it, I have no evidence that you are a Christian. This is not about whether or not you get along with someone. This is about whether or not you're willing to exercise a command of God. First Corinthians 13, verse 1. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. Now we covered that last week. And I went through all the exegetical points. If you speak with clarity and with beauty and in power and in nuance and you are not obeying God's command to love, it is just religious noise. It is not powerful. It's not accomplishing anything. It doesn't mean anything. It's just noise. Paul was dealing with that in Corinth. A lot of people, some of them with a lot of money. That was a big problem with their love feasts. The people with money were coming and thinking that they had a certain position that the people without it didn't have. And it started to creep into their thinking and their practice. Teachers began to arise. Factions, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. This is my side of this debate. This is my side of this argument. Paul says, if you come and you speak the very best language and presentation and power, and you are not exercising the love of God in your life, it is just noise. It means nothing. And here... I left you last week, is the vast emptiness of false religion. I had a whole thing I wanted to go through with this, and it's been preempted. But suffice it to say that when Elijah is confronting the prophets of Baal, while serving all the people of Israel whom he loved, Elijah loved these people. They had little to no regard for him. They didn't serve his God. At the end of his ministry, the Lord says, I have a few thousand who haven't bowed the knee to Baal. But Elijah loves them anyway, and it finally climaxes in this confrontation between Elijah and the prophets of Baal. And here these guys are up there cutting themselves and chanting and making noise. Hundreds of these false prophets. And you know what it is? It is just white noise. And then there is this verse in the middle of 1 Kings 18. This is what it says. 
so they took the bull, these are the prophets, which was given to them, and they prepared it, the prophets of Baal. And they called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, no one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he's a God. He is meditating, or he's busy, or he's on a journey. Perhaps he's sleeping and has to be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice. All day, all the expressions, all the devotions, the blood, the noise, the nonsense. And it says this, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Then Elijah said, notice he's, he speaks first to all of the people. Come near to me. Now, that is a loaded phrase. Because he had been calling the people to draw near to him and draw near to the God of Israel for years and years and years. And they wouldn't come. And he says, come near to me. Elijah loved the people of God. It says, so all the people came near to him. And then this is as far as I'll go in the text. It says this, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. That is a brutal verse of the Bible. Now that becomes a symbol of national repentance and God relents from the drought. And it's not the revival that Elijah is looking for. Some of you need to restore the proper sacrifice of God in your life and repent. You need to rebuild what has been broken down. You need to reevaluate whether or not you have left your first love. I have served with many of you for a long time. I have tried to make this point lightly. And now I make it heavily. It's Tim Keller is the pastor who says the problem with living sacrifices is they don't stay on the altar. Some of you need to get back on the altar. You need to repair the sacrifice offered to God that's been broken and messed up by your own doing. These prophets of Baal, this was just white noise. It was not love for God. There was no real devotion. There was no real relationship. There was no God to love. Our God is a living God that calls for devotion and honor and obedience. And He commands us to love. To love Him. To love our neighbor. To love the stranger. To love our brothers, the people of God. To love our enemies. 
here is verse 2 of 1 Corinthians 13. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. What is he saying? If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge. It's pretty good. I've gone through this pandemic with most of you. Talk to a lot of people who are really convinced they understand everything that's going on in the world. It's great. It's good for you. You don't exercise love as God's called you to do. You are nothing. It's important to try to understand prophecy, mysteries, knowledge. Those are commended to us in Scripture. Important things. Important things. You don't love God and His people and your enemies and treat them with love? Doesn't matter. Now, I've been willing to talk about the coronavirus with anybody who wants to talk to me about it. The pandemic. I've had a couple of conversations, not many. Mostly, I have tried to love God's people and declare God's word and be faithful to the service and the ministry that I've been called to throughout this entire thing. That's what I've tried to do. And I probably messed up. Probably messed up a lot. It's not been an easy time. I don't know where I've messed up, but that doesn't mean I'm excused. Maybe you know where I'm messed up. Maybe you know where I'm wrong. Maybe you're right where I'm wrong. What does love demand? Well, I would think you would come and talk with me about it, reason with me about it, work with me on it. I wouldn't think you'd attack me behind my back. I don't think that sounds like love. But I don't think that a lot of us are chiefly concerned about exercising love above all else right here. And that's a problem. That is a real problem. Verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor... And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Oh, I love people. Oh, yeah? How do you love them? Well, I do lots of good things for them. When they need help, I, I lend a hand. When I see a need, I give some money or some time or some focus. I love people. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. 
That's not what love is. That's not what love is. This says, in hyperbole, if you gave everything you had to help people, all my goods to feed the poor, if you are willing to give your life out of devotion and conviction to something, this says you could do that and not have love. And it would profit you nothing. You know what? People do this stuff all the time. It is not uncommon. Give great sums of money. Volunteer vast swaths of their personal time to all sorts of causes and people and needs. Be willing to sacrifice to the point of exhaustion, perhaps even death. That doesn't mean that you are exercising the love of God. I don't know what your motives are. Maybe they're very sincere. Maybe it's love in that moment to those people. That doesn't mean it's the love of God. What is the love of God? Verse 4. Love suffers long. Characteristic number one of the love of God, it suffers. It feels pain and turmoil and conflict and does not immediately seek to alleviate the reality of it in one's own life, but it bears it. It suffers. There's no short fuse in it. Love has a very high and long pain tolerance. Love suffers long and is kind. I have really been convicted over the course of my adult life on this one. Kindness. Because when I grew up, it almost sounded like having good manners. And I don't think I understood it. But as an adult, I can tell you that kindness is much more than that. In fact, it's one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit of God anyway. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness. Don't say that you love people. And not be kind to them. What is it? I don't know. What is kindness to you? What does it mean when someone thinks of you and goes the extra mile? When someone checks on you, when someone is polite, when someone gives you the preference? To me, kindness is mingled with gentleness and its approach towards other people that sees them as more important than themselves and it's the constant like demonstration of that through the course of the relationship kindness you go first how are you doing you go ahead I don't want to cause offense I don't want to hurt you thinking of others more than yourself love suffers long and is kind love does not envy
doesn't look at what someone else has with competitive ambition. It does not parade itself around. A person who loves others does not take the spot of attention and boastfulness and it's not throwing any parades for itself. It is not puffed up. It doesn't develop an inflated view of who you are. It's pretty inflated to lose such a concept of the sinner that you truly are that you somehow feel liberty and freedom to be critical and attacking towards others. That's pretty nuts. It's pretty crazy to be so puffed up in who you are as a person that you grow comfortable taking shots at other people. That's pretty crazy. It's kind of nuts to think that you're so puffed up that you've got all the right answers and you're so sure that your answers are right that you just kind of throw them around without concern for what they mean to anybody else or the potential that the disagreeing party might actually be right. That's nuts to me. That's not love. When I am in a discussion with somebody about something that we disagree on. My question is, okay, can we figure this out by looking at the scriptures together? In other words, is this going to be black and white through the scriptures? Are we going to come to some real true things through the scriptures? Because I can be authoritative on that front. But we get outside the scriptures and disagreements on life, behavior, politics, you know, all, raising kids, all sorts of things. I can tell you what I have drawn from the scriptures and I can try to give you a reason for why I approach things the way I approach things. But I am, and, and those of you who've had these discussions with me, I am pretty cautious at just definitively saying, no, my way is right. And it is shocking to me how others can like feel freedom from exercising any of that caution. That is crazy to me. Love is not puffed up and have love doesn't have an inflated view of who you are. Love does not behave rudely. Some of you should just take that one to heart for a minute. There is too much rude behavior. You know, if I'm in my home and I'm talking with my kids 
and they get frustrated by something that I say or part of the conversation and they decide they're going to get up and walk out, that's going to be an issue. That's pretty rude. Some of you have no thought whatsoever as to the amount of contempt you're willing to show when you disagree with something. That's not love. It's not love. Love is not rude. Doesn't walk out, doesn't toss things aside to make some scene. It doesn't look upset and angry and disinterested and uh, it doesn't do that to people who are genuinely trying to serve the Lord. Love does not seek its own. Love is not about, well, this isn't doing anything for me. What am I supposed to get out of this? Where does that leave me? That's not love. Love is, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not getting anything out of this. Maybe this doesn't hit a need right where I would like a need to be met. But you know, here are people trying to serve the Lord. I'm going to try to support that. Because I'm not in this to seek my own gain and my own benefit. I didn't come to Jesus just to get my own gain or benefit out of it. He doesn't command me to serve Him in my own self-interest all the time. So, okay. How can I exercise a kindness towards others in this? Love is not about me. Love is not provoked. It can't get shot off by what someone said or what someone did or what someone, the opinion someone took or a statement someone made. When someone has the love of God and they're exercising the love of God, the relationships around that love become much more sturdy. Because in relationships that are governed by even one person possessing the love of God, they're not set off at the slightest provocation. They're not blown up at the smallest offense. They're not derailed by comments that someone has made or something taken out of context. They endure because love is not provoked. What if God was done with you the first time you provoked Him? What if the first time you sinned against Him this week, that was it? Lightning bolt from heaven, ground swallowing you beneath your feet, your career job done, your child dead, your wife, your husband gone. What if God could be so easily provoked? If you're the kind of person who thinks that you're somehow justified in your behavior or your reactions because someone said something or did something that hurt you or bothered you, and now you can just respond in turn, shut them out of your life, walk away, withdraw from this, be finished. You don't get it. You don't get it. 
That's not love. By the way, that doesn't work in any relationship. Try being married with that kind of love. Ah, but we'll put up with it in marriage because we're seeking our own and it's in our own best interest. And divorce can be really hard and on and on and on. on. So there's a lot of reasons to make it work there. But here, eh, depends. Does it? I don't know. These look like commands to me. Love thinks no evil. I'll tell you what. A lot of the times when people are gossiping about others behind their back, whether they're gossiping about pastors or whoever, when they're talking about people behind their back, the gossip is littered with judgments on someone's motivation. And I, if you don't get anything else out of this, I would really appreciate it if you got this. If I don't like something that Jody Bowers does, and I disagree with it, it's one thing to tell someone, you know, I disagree with that. That's one thing. I'm allowed to disagree with Jody on a whole plethora of things. And there's no sin in that. But the moment I say, and Jody only thinks this because of that, that is way over the line. Oh, but this person only did this because he was thinking or feeling this. This person only said this because he knows this. This person took this approach because she thought this. Who are you to know that person's motivations? Who are you? I mean, do you have some advanced degree in psychology? Do you have some equipment at home that I don't know of that lets you look into the mind of another person? Who are you to do that? What gives you the right to not only say, I disagree with what someone has done, but then to go in and assume that you have the wisdom and the discernment to make all the judgments about why that person has done the thing that they've done. Look, love thinks no evil. Love never looks at what someone just did and said, well, let me tell you the evil reason why they really did it. Let me tell you the selfish reason why they really did it. Let me tell you the ambitious reason why they really did it. Let me tell you what they were really thinking. You have no idea. And even if you're right, you don't have the right. You have no idea, I think, how many conflicts would never even be conflicts if people would just understand that love, even when it is 80% sure that there is a bad motive when love refuses to accept and perpetuate that motive. No one here is trying to get out of being held account for evil behavior. You see something evil, something sinful going on? Bring it up. Let's deal with it. This church has dealt with sin more publicly than any other church I know of around. But when you are simply willing to dive into someone's motives and their thoughts and their secret purposes and accuse them of selfishness and ambition and greed or whatever it is. Who are you? 
It makes me so upset. Furthermore, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Some people, when they catch someone actually doing something sinful, it's almost like they're ready to throw a party. They talk about it with everybody. Did you hear this? Did you know this? Did you see this? I told you so. I knew it. Love takes absolutely no joy in sin. Love rejoices in truth. And if you want to know what truth is, cross-reference Jesus. Okay? It's very clear in the Gospels. Verse 7, love bears all things and that is the only reason I am still in New Paris, Ohio. Because this verse smacks me right in the face. Love bears all things, believes all things. Do you know how much work it takes to exercise love when someone tells you something that you are 80% sure isn't true? 90% sure isn't true, but you have no evidence to the contrary and you say, you know what? Okay. I'll give you an example. People have left this church, not recently, but left, walked out the door, thanking me for my ministry, thanking me for my work, telling me there was nothing wrong with what I was doing, and they had no problems to deal with. Love has to believe that. Okay. <laughs> okay. And yeah, you find out six months later that they had an entirely different conversation with 20 other people. Love makes you vulnerable to pain and betrayal. You're like, why would anyone have this kind of love? Why would we believe what someone was saying when clearly that doesn't seem to be true? Why would we bear and endure all things? That's not going to be in our best interest. Cross-reference Jesus. Love is pain. Love is suffering. Love is sacrifice. Love is being betrayed. There is nothing more powerful in the world than a Christian who will not compromise on this definition of love. This definition alone changes lives. People think they change lives with little token gifts and token conversations and oh, I'm a good counselor and I had a good chat with so-and-so. This kind of painful, enduring, believing, this kind of love is what makes a difference. This. And this is only found in Jesus. 
And if you don't have it, you are not of God. If you don't exercise it, don't tell me you're a child of God. You're not. At least I have no evidence of it. Oh, but I believe the right things. James, the demons believe and tremble. When someone is in a relationship with God, the Spirit of God puts this in their lives. Not everybody speaks in tongues. Not everybody prophesies. Not everybody works miracles. That's the whole 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. But 1 Corinthians 13, this is the more excellent way. That's what it said. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 31. Yet I will show you a more excellent way. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Daggone it, that one's important. Do you know how easy it would be to just give up on people because they don't do what you are trying to tell them to do. Well, I shared the gospel with... I shared the gospel with someone and they didn't get saved and they didn't respond well and they didn't, you know, and things went bad. Yeah, love hopes all things. It's not over. It's not over. Some of you are hearing this as hard-hearted as you could possibly be. Some of you are probably mad hearing this. Okay. Love hopes all things. I hope for repentance. I hope for salvation. I hope. As Jesus said to the church in Ephesus, that people will return to their first love. That a church will not be extinguished because even though they know the right doctrine, and even though they recognize false teaching, and even though they hate immorality, they have lost the first love that they had in the beginning. I hope that is every person here. I hope because I am commanded to hope. Love endures all things. How far should I go here? Love endures when you open your home to someone and you love them and you try to care for them and you change your entire life for them and they burn you. <laughs> Love doesn't say I'm done with that person. It hopes all things, it bears all things, it endures all things. Love endures when someone else is sitting at you, glaring at you, like who do you think you are for telling me what the Bible says? Love endures gossip and slander and threats and maliciousness. Love endures all things. Love endures pain and rejection 
and the unanswered question of whether or not things will ever get better than this. What if I've spent the prime years of my life and it never gets better? What if this is as good as serving the Lord Jesus will ever be on this earth? What if it only gets worse? Why not escape? Why not step out? Why not relocate? Why not move? But love endures all things. That's what Elijah dealt with on the other side of Mount Carmel. The big experience with the prophets and the altar. and Because he has this experience and then he walks away from it and he's still a wanted man and Israel is still serving all the Baals and he's running for his life and he realizes this is as good as it gets for me. Love endures all things. Verse 8. Love never fails. That doesn't mean that love will always accomplish what you want it to accomplish. Now that's not the failure that it's talking about. It means love never, ever, ever stops. And whatever you have... Whatever your feelings are, whatever your commitment to someone that you just cut off, that you're just able to sever and move on with bitterness, anger, no fellowship. Whatever those feelings were at one time, they weren't love, not the love of God, because the love of God never, ever, ever fails. It continues. There are probably people in this room so mad at me right now. So upset. That's okay. That's alright. I am here, believe it or not, because I love you. And I'm not going to quit loving you no matter how mad you get. No matter how upset you are. But I'm no coward. We preach expository messages here, verse by verse through the Bible. And when we hit this subject, it is no coincidence that the Spirit of God is working in my life at the exact time that we hit this passage. And I'm telling you, if you do not obey the command of God to love, you are not a Christian. You are going to hell. Repent. Repent. Let the Spirit of God do what I know I can't do. I can't work you up into some emotional frenzy. I can't bring about repentance in your life. Let the Spirit of God put a living heart inside of dead men's bones. Let your heart soften. Be honest with yourself about this. Let go of your pride. Remember what it was like when you were a broken man or woman before an almighty God with all of your sin in front of your face. And you realize the only salvation 
that is afforded to me is on the back of a man who was beaten and bruised and bleeding as the sacrifice to God that I refuse to make. That I am not qualified to make. And when you seized upon that, if you did truly seize upon it, there is an affection for God born out in the heart of a believer that cannot be manipulated or manufactured in any other way. Lots of people fear God. The demons believe and tremble. Lots of people are afraid. Every culture, every society, in every part of the world, since time began, has built their temples and put up their idols because they're afraid of what a God could do to them. Lots of people fear God. Not many people love Him. If God has put inside of your life an affection for Him, renew that affection. Soften. Let the Spirit of God break down the walls and the barriers, the shell, the stone that's formed around what's, what was once sensitive and real. Quit trying to be the man or the woman that you think is the tough, strong man or woman that's what this world requires you to be. This world is going to burn in judgment. Be like Jesus. Be like Jesus. Let's close with a word of prayer. Father, the deed is done. Message preached for better or worse. My life is in your hands. You can take it if you'd like. I've tried to be faithful to what I believe was supposed to be said here this morning. If I'm wrong, and I might be wrong, and deal with me as your son. It's better to be chastised by you than coddled by the world. I love you. My heart and my life are yours. Let that be so for all of your people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.